Listen. Can you hear it? The Spirit is calling. It calls us in the silence and through the noise and busyness of our daily lives. It calls us in the brightness of the day and the darkness of the night and in times of hope and despair. Listen. Can you hear it? The Spirit is calling. It doesn't matter what you call it, for it has no name and has many different names. The Spirit of life. The Spirit of love. The Spirit of compassion. The Spirit of hope. The Spirit of justice. Listen. Can you hear it? The Spirit is calling. It's calling to you and to me, calling from within us and beyond us. It's calling us to greater wholeness, greater connection, greater service, greater love. It's calling us to heal the brokenness within us, within others, within our world. It's calling us to live more deeply it's calling us to beauty. It's calling us to laugh and dance and sing like the birds. It's calling us to live through life's pain and sorrow. It's calling us to live courageously and kindly, to speak our truth in love and to bend the moral arc of the universe towards justice. It's calling us into community. It's calling us into the greater life of all that is. Listen, can you hear it? The Spirit is calling. These are words by John Saxon, and I have it on the best authority that the Spirit is saying to one and all of us, welcome. Well done for getting up and out this Sunday morning, for dealing with the vagaries of London transport and its engineering works. Congratulations for choosing to attend to your own spiritual well-being in good company with all you'll meet here today at Essex Church. Give yourselves a congratulatory pat on the back and know that you are welcome here. However you're feeling, whatever is going on in your life right now, bring it here. And this chalice flame, it reminds us that we are one people, one life force, seeking expression on one planet. It's flame connecting us with Unitarian and Unitarian Universalist communities the world over, telling us again and again that we do belong. And we've got a lovely song of welcome to begin with, and the only thing to say about this is that it goes at quite a pace. So, but <laughs> so if you find the words on this pink sheet and sing along as you feel able, we are going to sing about the welcome table.
and uh, we're, we're going to move now into a time of prayer and reflection. Uh, this is the, the day of Pentecost, which marks the time when Jesus' early followers found themselves inspired to speak in many languages, and they felt the power of the Holy Spirit working through them. So may that spirit be with us too, here and in the, in the everyday moments of our lives, in the innermost spaces of our minds and our hearts, in the simple actions of ordinary life, that supportive smile or the reaching of a hand in in words spoken or kept silent, in choices made and steps taken, in a few moments of stillness I, I invite you to think of your own life and your circumstances where, where you might value the guidance of the Spirit, whatever that means for you. And in this quietness, let us, let us each send our own thoughts and prayers to, to the troubled places in our world, in those we love, in ourselves. And particularly today here in Kensington, we might think of all those who died or lost their homes and loved ones in that Grenfell Tower fire. May all who suffer find the support they need. And may our world community be tireless in seeking solutions to problems. And may we be courageous in putting our faith into action each and every day, always for the greater good of all. Amen. Amen. Today's service is about achieving our potential. And another way to look at that is to see each of us as unique beings who will, through the course of a lifetime perhaps, or given the right circumstances, we'll be able to grow fully into who we are. Have a listen to this poem by American poet May Sarton, looking back on her life and how she expresses her identity through her writing. You've got a copy of it um, if you'd like to read along silently. I think it's on the back of your pink sheet. Now I become myself. It's taken time, many years and places. I have been dissolved and shaken, worn other people's faces. 
run madly as if time were there, terribly old, crying and warning, hurry, you will be dead before, what? Before you reach the morning, or the end of the poem is clear, or love safe in the walled city. Now, to stand still, to be here, feel my own weight and density. The black shadow on the paper is my hand, the shadow of a word, as thought shapes the shaper. Falls heavy on the page, is heard, all fuses now falls into place from wish to action, word to silence, my work, my love, my time, my face, gathered into one intense gesture of growing like a plant. As slowly as the ripening fruit, fertile, detached and always spent, falls but does not exhaust the root, so all the poem is, can give, grows in me to become the song made so and rooted by love. Now there is time, and time is young. Oh, in this single hour I live, all of myself and do not move. I, the pursued, who madly run, stand still, stand still, and stop the sun. It says that this is a reading about the Camp Hill communities, but on the order of service, but in fact it's mostly me. I think there's one quotation. Um, some of you know my sister Mandy. Um, you've, you've met her. Mandy has learning difficulties. Um, you'll perhaps have a chance to meet her in the summer when she comes to stay. Mandy said it was okay for me to tell her story or a tiny bit of her story and she hopes that, that other people kind of have as good a life as hers has turned out to be. And I would say that a lot of that success is because of who Mandy is and how she manages her life. But she and her and our family also give great credit to the Camp Hill communities where she was educated and where she works to this day. Um, the Camp Hill communities were set up in the 1940s by Dr. Carl Koenig, who I've quoted on the front of today's order of service. And, and these communities were based upon Rudolf Steiner's educational principles. Um, and here I am quoting. Today, Camp Hill consists of a worldwide network of more than 100 communities in over 20 countries, where people of all abilities including some 3,000 children and adults with learning disabilities, mental health issues and other special needs, live, learn and work together in an atmosphere of mutual respect. Camp Hill succeeds because it integrates those with disabilities into caring communities that recognise all people as equals with each capable of making valued contributions to community life. And that quote has come from the Camp Hill Communities website. Oh, I wish I could whisk you all now to one of those Camp Hill communities because 
what you'd notice immediately is the calm and loving atmosphere. The, this, the sense of people of, of differing abilities working and living alongside each other. The pride that every one of us can feel when we have meaningful tasks to perform and when we know ourselves to be part of a group working together. Now, they're not perfect communities. I mean, what, what community is? And the Camp Hill organisation has gone through some very difficult changes over recent years. But the high quality of their care has been absolutely maintained. Now, some of us will have seen recent film footage shown on the BBC Panorama programme about the abusive treatment of young adults with special needs in a so-called hospital called Walton Hall up in County Durham. I don't suppose I'll have been the only one who wept when I saw such degrading treatment. And, and when I was watching that programme, I realised that I was actually weeping for those staff as, as much as for the patients because, because the staff had no respect for the people they were caring for. And that is actually a terrible way to live your life with no respect for the people you're working with. Now, our, our American Unitarian Universalist cousins have a list of principles guiding their communities. And the first one states, the inherent, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. We sometimes speak here, don't we, of the Quaker advice to see something of God in everyone we meet. Rudolf Steiner, who, whose ideas on education form the basis of work at Camp Hill to this day, Rudolf Steiner believed in reincarnation. He believed that each one of us has, an, has and is an eternal spirit. And it is that spirit that Camp Hill educational and care system relates to. Seeing each person as, as a equally, well, as a unique expression of that spirit. And, and each person is equally valuable and worthy as everyone else. Now, even though these are no longer my spiritual beliefs, I still find it a useful way to view our remarkable human diversity. And I really treasure the message that each of us has something unique to achieve here on earth with the life we have and the circumstances we find ourselves in. It's quite a, a powerful thought to hold on to, isn't it?
So we're moving into a meditative time now. Um, there'll be a short spoken meditation, uh, which you're welcome to follow or think your own thoughts. And then we'll hold two or three minutes of silence together and that will come to an end with a chime from our bell. So do, do whatever works best for you to settle yourself and to just feel as comfortable as you can do in these chairs, perhaps aware of your physicality and, and your connection with the earth beneath our feet. Perhaps using the gentle rhythm of your breathing to allow you to settle and turn inwards, aware as we always are of the noises outside, but able to turn inwards for a while. And in this time of meditation, I invite you to consider what it means to accept yourself as you are. With all the unique issues that are part of your life. So many of us having to come to terms with physical changes, with mental health issues, with accepting who we are and what we are capable of in the circumstances in which we live. I invite you to explore this idea of acceptance in these next few minutes of stillness. Accepting ourselves as we are and also accepting one another in our unique diversity. You are accepted. Um, two, two Unitarians from Wakefield, Mel and Ned Prido, have been cycling all night here in London to raise money for the Alzheimer's Society. 
uh, they cycled 135 kilometers on a tandem. They raised over 1,360 1, pounds and they are still speaking to each other. <laughs> I thought they might have joined us in church today, but apparently they've gone to bed. Now, this month's ministry theme here at Essex Church is coping and flourishing. And when we are flourishing in life, we can be said to be fulfilling our potential. But what flourishing looks like for each of us is different, isn't it? I would not and could not cycle for 135 kilometres. And, and really wipe from your mind anything like the X Factor or Britain's Got Talent. Or, you know, for the vast majority of us, fulfilling our potential isn't anything grand or headline grabbing, is it? it it's more about being the best that we can be, uh, uh, being who we are. You, you probably know the uh, Jewish teaching story of a, a very timid rabbi called Zuzia who awakes from a vision and goes with, with tears in his eyes to tell his followers about it. And they ask him, Zuzia, what's the matter? So he told them about his vision and he said, and he explained, well, I learned the question that the angels will one day ask me about my life. And the followers were puzzled. Zuzia, you, you're pious, you're, you're scholarly, you're humble, you've helped so many of us. What question about your life could be so terrifying that you would be frightened to answer it? Zuzia replied, well, I've learned that the angels will not ask me, why weren't you a Moses leading your people out of slavery? And the angels won't ask me, why weren't you a Joshua leading your people into the promised land? Zuzia sighed. They'll say to me, Zuzia, why weren't you Zuzia? So it could be said that the primary task in our life is to be ourselves. Carl Jung wrote that in the final analysis, we count for something because of the essential we embody. We count for something because of the essential we embody. And that, of course, reminds me of Rudolf Steiner's idea that a unique expression of the spirit resides in each of us and that can be nurtured and encouraged. Now we know, don't we, that we're all dealt a different hand of cards in life. Our genetics, our origins, our life experiences, our, our levels of inherited privilege, the accidents that happen to us, the chance nature of the people we meet in life and end up spending our lives with. All these enhance or limit our capabilities to do X, Y or Z in our life. And just here in this room, we will have such a great range of experiences in this field. So, so please forgive me if, if any of this is painful for you to think about. And let's, let's make time to talk about these issues more privately. I would like to hear your experiences. So if we, we think of a few examples to, to make this concrete, I'm going to have a look at two issues, the issue of disability and the issue of neurodiversity. 
Now, within disability activism, there's been shifting opinions over the years as to how we should best reflect on disability. And one perspective is called a social model of disability. Put simply, that's the view that people are actually disabled because of how our wider society is organised. In this, in this way of thinking, how society is organised and structured can make it harder than it needs to be for disabled people to fully flourish and to achieve their potential in life, whether that's through built environments that are inaccessible or that contain unnecessary obstacles, because we've not prioritised accessibility as a society, or through the attitudes and prejudices which actually bar people from joining in certain activities. You probably know that until quite recently the, the dominant model of disability has been a medical model which sees the, the human body as a machine that functions more or less efficiently. So then disabilities are viewed as, as an aberration from the norm. Now the social model of disability takes a different approach and it importantly reminds us that there is no norm to diverge from. Throughout our lives, the vast majority of us will need some special considerations to be made if we are to function effectively. So the social model of disability identifies systemic barriers, negative attitudes and exclusion by society, be that purposefully or inadvertently. That means society is the main contributory factor in disabling people. While, while physical, sensory, intellectual or psychological variations may cause individual functional limitations or impairments, these don't actually have to lead to disability unless society fails to take account of and include people, regardless of individual differences. So, the message is that we can all achieve more when we're given the support we need. The message is that we are all impaired in some way and that a simplistic division of people into disabled and non-disabled is just plain wrong. But let's not pretend that this is all really easy to sort it all out. Now, few of us are trained to have the conversations that we need to have with one another about what we need to fulfil our potential. As a society, I think we're really at quite an early stage still of awareness in this area. But when I think of people, for example, in those Camp Hill communities that I spoke of earlier, and when I think of people I know living in society with appropriate levels of care that they organise for themselves, I know that people with disabilities can, of course, live flourishing lives. And we're increasingly aware now, aren't we, that not all disabilities are visible. I am proud, as I often am, of uh, London Transport, for, for their badge project that says, please offer me a seat. Not all disabilities and conditions are visible. And those badges are readily accessible from London Transport. 
So let's think of, of some other, perhaps more hidden forms of disability. What about learning disabilities? What about mental health conditions? What about neurodiversity, which is a word which is increasingly used to cover a range of conditions? And I'll talk more about that in a moment. Each of these quite natural variations will make it harder to flourish in a world that's just not set up to support people who are different from the norm in some way, even though we know there is no norm to diverge from. Here's a, a helpful quote from the campaigning charity Autistic UK explaining more about this term neurodiversity. They write, Neurodiversity is an essential form of human diversity. The idea that there is one normal or healthy type of brain or mind or, or one right style of neurocognitive functioning, that is no more valid than the, the idea that there is one normal or right gender, race or culture. The classification of neurodivergence, and they list... Um, conditions such as autism, ADHD, dyslexia, bipolarity. They say that the classification of these conditions as medical or psychiatric pathology, that has no valid scientific basis and instead reflects cultural prejudice and oppresses those who are labelled as such. The social dynamics around neurodiversity are similar then to the dynamics that manifest around other forms of human diversity. These dynamics include unequal distribution of social power. And conversely, when embraced, diversity can act as a source of creative potential. That's a quotation from the charity Autistic UK. And, and I found another um, description that was helpful for me. This is from Steve Silberman, who's the author of a book called Neurotribes, The Legacy of Autism and the Future of Neurodiversity. And he defines neurodiversity as the notion that conditions like autism, dyslexia, and attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder should be regarded as naturally occurring cognitive variations with distinctive contributions and strengths that have contributed to the evolution of technology and culture rather than mere checklists of deficits and dysfunctions. This seems really important to me, all of this. this it, and it is a slowly growing understanding that these ideas of normal are just not very useful anymore in human society, that it's far more helpful, both to individuals and to society as a whole, to view all of us, surprise, surprise, as a little bit different, to consider all of us in need of particular environments and conditions in which we will be more likely to flourish. But of course that means there's quite a bit of work to be done. There's, there's work for us to do in this church community. We need to educate ourselves about all this. We need to read more, listen more, ask more questions if we're really committed to supporting the flourishing of all people. We need to move beyond conventional ways of thinking and keep seeking ways to support everyone's participant 
participation and engagement in life. We need to train ourselves to stop making assumptions about one another when we meet people. The, actually, the only way to find out more about somebody is to ask them and to listen to their answers. We have to train ourselves not to generalise about particular conditions. You know, I mean, ridiculous examples, but they're quite prevalent in our society. Things like, not all autistic people are good at maths, or brilliant artists, or, or struggle to understand emotions. We, we've got to train ourselves, too, in thinking how to particular how to um, best to articulate our own particular needs to others because this is not a skill that's been encouraged in most of our education systems or our families has it what do we as individuals need now and this spiritual work to do because seeing the inherent worth and dignity in every person that is quite easy to say it is actually less easy to live by it takes commitment, it takes courage to challenge our own preconceptions about people who are different from us and instead to see us all as individual sparks of that divine spirit, unique sparks of a great life force of which we are all a truly precious part. Amen. So let's... Um, Sing now our closing hymn. What are we up to here? Oh yes, it's the Spirit Lives to Set Us Free. It's number 165.
Terry, Terry Eagleton wrote that genuine, genuine equality means not treating everyone the same, but attending equally to everyone's different needs. In the week that lies ahead, let us stay awake to the wondrous diversity of human life. Let us be compassionate and curious inquirers about the needs of others. And let us notice when we slip into thinking that is stereotypical or generalizing. And may, may our own uniqueness delight us and present us with ever more ways to become who we truly are. Amen. Go well and blessed be.